Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 410th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's disguised and cloaked as we prowled the back alleys of the shadowy cardboard cutout cabal. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments of the week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week? Well, James, we're going to lead off with our Metagame Week in Review. We've got two big modern events especially to talk about. Then we've got our top movers in paper and then online. Segment four has cards to watch, and then at the end of this, all of this, we get to talk about the reveals for Murders at Markov Manor, a set which I've been practicing to say without, uh, you know, doing anything nefarious. But if we could get some, like, cool sound effects in there, like Murders in Markov Manor needs, like, a howling wolf, a crackling lightning, something like that, you know? We need some, some good old 20s radio show sound effects oh my god we're in the 20s everybody everybody keeps thinking it's a markov and not karlov uh so good job to the branding team on are you kidding me all the time have i been looking at spoilers all day and it's karlov manor not markov manor oh yeah markov's on innistrad oh my god (laughs) as in edgar markov oh my god but you're not not the first person to say it I thought it was so awesome because I was like, why is the, the set, for, it, it should be, it's MMM, Murders Markov Manor. Oh my God. Okay, I'm sorry. Everybody's been talking about how Edgar Markov was a shoe-in to get reprinted here, but it has, I seriously doubt that given that it has absolutely nothing to do with Innistrad. <laughs> so. That'd be funny though. Taking a look at our metagame week in review, we've got a double dose of big modern tournaments, one online and one off. We'll kick things off here with the modern qualifier from just yesterday, January the 15th, 301 players on MTGO. This was taken down by a pretty spicy deck here. It's the evolution of something that I've seen multiple content creators work on uh, since the release of MH2. This is an Asmo deck. That also has four Inti Seneschal of the Sun, a Crocs the Titan of Death's Hunger, three Orcish Bowmasters, four Oval Chase Daredevil, four Ragavan Nimble Pilferer, and four Stalactite Stalker out of LCI from just this fall. This is a basically Oval Chase Asmo four Underworld Cookbook deck that also has a bunch of mid-rangey black-red value engine elements. Does Stalactite trigger every single time, uh, every turn, or just on your turn? So it's a it's a 1-1 one, one menace for 1 at the beginning of your end step. If you descended this turn, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Stalactite Stalker. So it's only checking on the descent trigger at the end of your turn. Uh, but yeah. of course, in Modern versus in EDH, that happens three times as often. So It's still very cool. I, I've always loved the, the combination of Asmo and Cookbook and Dragster. So you're uh, just discarding, coming back, discarding, coming back, discarding, coming back. Just 
keeping the food running. Urza, for Urza Saga in this deck as well to go get a Mox Amber Shadow Spear or Cookbook. Worth noting. And the rest of this top eight looks pretty straightforward. Blue Red Murktide in second and fourth, also featuring four Ragavan apiece. Black Red Scam in third, also using four Ragavan. Shardless Rhinos in fifth and sixth. And Black Green Yogmoth in eighth with three Soul Cauldrons still running in the main. The most notable thing here then is that in the absence of Fury, freshly banned in this format, Ragavan is back on the menu. You got what? You got oh, yeah. 20 copies of Ragavan in this top eight? We knew Ragavan was good, and we just don't have a zero-mana answer to him immediately. That gives us all kinds of value as well. So, like, uh, Bowmaster is a great answer, but then you got to be ready for that. And if you're dashing him, then Bowmaster... Wait, Bowmaster still has Flash, right? Yeah, and you have your own yeah, but, but you have your flash. own Bowmasters in this deck. So, I mean, going head-to-head on Bowmasters is no big deal. Bottom line is they don't have the easy Furies to clear out your early plays, which is what makes Stalker and, and Ragavan more appetizing at this point. Because a lot of the, the removal is going to go one for one. Over... At the SCGCon RCQ, this is back a couple weeks, January 6th, so 10 to 8 days ago. This was a 20k event in paper, uh, but it was post the bans, if I'm not mistaken. Black Green at Yogmoth was in first and third. We had Black Red Scam in fourth, also with four Ragavan. They were also in seventh. Ditto with the four Ragavans. Amulet Titan in fifth, Shardless Rhinos in sixth. But the notable story here was that Versions of blue-white control took down second and eighth place. Jeskai control in second with four, the one ring, and three mana Teferi, four solitude, and four leyline binding. And then the blue-white control version in eighth was pretty much the same thing, just minus some of the red elements. Uh, You know, you got four copies of the ring. You've got Narset in here, uh, one of them doing work. The other one has some dress down. I I can totally see bringing in... Uh, a very control deck when you're facing like a big unknown uh, SEG tournaments like this. Uh, both of them are Kahira decks, which always makes me happy when you've got just a couple of elementals so you can play Kahira as a freebie in your sideboard, which is more relevant than you might think to always have access to a creature if you just have enough mana. All told across, across both of these tournaments, you have... 28 copies of Ragavan out of a possible 64. So that's pretty good. Not inconsequential. Probably a card to keep your eye on if you don't think it's going to catch another printing in MH3. My prevailing theory on what MH2 cards are vulnerable for MH3 are the ones that did not get foil etched or retro foil versions. So I guess retro foil Ragavan is a potential, right? Like we already had uh, Halo foil in uh the the multiverse legend sheet for ragavan we got the um the invention frame on him right yeah but that won't stop them (laughs) (laughs) they they will definitely go back to a ragavan solitude you know dothy voidwalker well if they if they think they can but things like voidwalker already had foil etched and retro foil etched and foil extended art and extended art etc so they don't seem like top priorities. And last time when they went from MH1 to MH2, it was mostly the the key mythics that caught the bonus treatment. And it was only available in the collector boosters. Right. Uh, there were serialized versions in the Multiverse Legends as well. They're going for a pretty penny. But let me ask you, knowing that serialized doesn't mean we never make more serialized. So it would be serialized in a new frame, presumably. 
Uh, would you be selling on your serialized ragavans right now? No, not necessarily. I mean, I, do, I don't think okay. I don't actually think it's a big deal whether if a card is hot enough. Going from five hundred definitely is going from five hundred to a thousand copies in serial plus however many pro tour promo ragavans got released last year. Isn't that That's also true. isn't really the main downward price pressure? The most the biggest price pressure on serials is that the prices that are transacted during the first six weeks or so during the hype cycle are the prices being paid by the people that are most eager to get them in their hands. And when they later fall off a cliff, people are always like, oh, the price collapsed. But that's not really what's happening. Like, if you understand supply and demand curves, that's not the process that's in play. The process is that the people that want it but don't need to have it right now will be in the market further down the road when they know they can get a better price, the patient people. A good example would be there's a lot of foil shocklands trading hands this week around 500 bucks. I'm betting I can get some at $300 in a couple of months, so I'm not buying any this week. The only one I even put a bid on was the 007 Steam Vents that was on eBay, and it looks like that guy shut the auction down and took an external offer. So, <laughs> Look, you're talking, you're talking right to a guy who is trying so hard not to buy these serialized dragons that just came out. So this is directly into my veins advice. I'm, I'm holding fast because you're right, the prices drop. I just, you know, I just need to hear that. There have been very, very few serials that have gone up instead of down, given time. True. I, I think from Brothers War, Mox Amber might have been one of the only survivors that went up. And the shocks have a broad enough demand profile that it's that they are a good test. Because if even they drop, then anything would drop, right? Oh, the shocks are definitely going to drop. The only thing that uh, I think might be uh, affecting the shocks is the fact that so many people will want, like they've got their one blinged out commander deck and they might want, you know, one of each. Uh, so there might be more pressure to snag a set, but I don't think there's going to be enough plus the the demand that already exists to really make it go anything crazy. So I think you're right that ev the prices on all the serialized do come down and sometimes they come down a lot. The brothers wore the first batches of cereals. Some of those were over a grand. Like I, I was looking at, uh, what's its face, the uh, five color Ramos dragon, the dragon engine, and that was over a thousand dollars. Was going for like twelve hundred, but now solid three hundred. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are retro foil or some unique treatment foil MH three solitude grief, Esper Sentinel, Dothy Voidwalker, etc. That that will sell the set. <laughs> and and push it pretty hard and alongside whatever new cards they they put into that they'll f there, there's definitely a mix there that makes the set a, a big success so i i would expect that that's what we see coming you know no it's what five months from now not, not that long not that long moving on over to top paper movers we'll kick things off with march of swirling mist extended arts largely forgotten bulk card for most of its existence out of uh neon dynasty of probably the maybe the best standard set in the last five years in terms of uh, financial uh, success, all sorts of fantastic rare lands in there that have done well. Marjus Willing Mist is seeing a bunch of play in Bant Poison and Standard, so it's gone 250 to 350 this week, 40% gains. We also have Urza's Incubator Retro versions out of Dom Dominaria Remastered, the remastered set from this time last year, going 20 to $30 as those dry up. Cliff picked that on episode 372 in April last year to go 16 to 30 so that's a, that's a nice win for the team. 
We've also <laughs> we've also got Gix Yogmoth Praetor at a the mythic at a Brothers War going nineteen to thirty, and pretty much all versions headed up. Seeing a lot of play in standard as well. I know I have copies of this I I opened, but for the life of me, I can't find them. I was thinking that too. It's really, I must, it's really I, driving I must me have crazy. some of them around, right? Yeah, it's really <laughs> driving me crazy because I know I opened three or four CBs out of out of Brothers War. I guarantee I saw some of these, but I just can't find them. And I figured maybe I sold them like during the first two weeks, as I am prone to do if I crack CBs, but I can't find any record of the sales either. So guess that mystery will continue as I plow through my boxes. <laughs> Sadly, every year there are more boxes, and that makes the process harder. Last March of the Ants borderless uh, foil version, I think that should be, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, actually, I'm not sure. And it's a borderless poster version because that's an important detail to put in there. Yeah, 30 to 50. Uh, looking very targeted. I've seen multiple pro traders talking about it. They've probably got their hands on some. And just the posters in general have clearly been targeted. This this card is doing fine in EDH, but it's not doing amazing. It's not a staple, super stable by any means. Uh, we've also got Jeweled Lotus Foil Etched. That one was my pick back five or six episodes ago, something like that. And I think my selection, let me just see what I said. I said this episode 407, which is December, just December 18th, so about a month ago. I said 115 to 160, and this week we are pushing up over 200 on those. So that's looking like a win. Fast recovery for a card that just got reprinted last summer. I should point out that the 110 was not the price this week. That looks all the way back to the summer. I'm trying to pick out some stuff that's not just on a weekly basis that might otherwise get missed if it went up in increments uh, for this year. Sure, it didn't go up 90 bucks in a week, but it has gone up notably. 90 bucks in six months, right? So yeah. Demonic Tutor foil etched out of Commander Masters, very similar thing. Uh, foils 35 to 65 since the summer. <clears throat> Equally fast recovery on an S-tier staple for Commander Masters. I find these two both very interesting because people were complaining about both reprints like they were unneeded, and yet you see the power, like the level of demand on these cards at the fanciest versions thereof have rebounded pretty quickly so demonic tuner needs a printing every year it's so popular it was in strixhaven in like four different versions in the mystical archive it was in double masters i think like that you just can't print enough demonic tutor it's just too good i mean there's, there's a level but you're right it's one of the most resistant because it's one of the most automatic includes in, in your average black deck if you can afford it We've also got movement on another Tri-Land out of SNC, Spara's Headquarters Showcase Foils going 8 to 15 uh, since the summertime. That's 88% gains. That's hot on the heels of Jetmere's Garden, which uh, I've sold a ton of copies of. There's, of course, the uh, Ginny Fey and Jetmere Secret Layer Commander deck being announced in the next couple weeks. So it's entirely possible that a Jetmere's Garden will get a reprint there. Yeah, that seems pretty likely. So I've been definitely selling my Jetmere's Gardens as fast as I can, and I'm taking a hard look at these SNC lands, trying to figure out what their risks are. You know, we talked about the ones that are possible to get reprinted associated with Fallout, and you know, that's probably the main risk in the next six months or so. Don't think there's any chance of those Tri-Lands showing up in MH3. Seems too early for that. Yeah, no. There's going to be fetch lands. There's not going to be Tri-Lands. It, it will blow everybody's mind if they don't go with allied fetch lines there because it'll be like, well, what are we saving them for? They, they didn't put doubling season in Ravnica Remastered. It is entirely possible they do some wild stuff like this. 
But if Modern Horizons 2 puts the price of enemy fetches down below how much they were in original standard in Zendikar, then I, I cannot imagine where else they put the allied fetches. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying that this is what makes the most sense. And because it makes the most sense, there is a very good chance it doesn't happen. And the obvious sell call, of course, is KTK allied fetches because they're as high as, as, high as they're likely to be in the next four years would be my guess. I believe that I have I have told people to do something exactly like that on this cast. Argonath, Pillars of the Kings, which is the the Ozolith Realms and Relics version from LTR this summer, twenty five to forty eight in non foil. All versions of this are headed up. There is the uh, original box topper version. There's a foil version of that, and there's a surge foil from the holiday release. They're all pushing up. Something people may not have noticed is that these are not rares like the original Ozolith. They are mythics. So the, yeah. the drop rate is low on a card that goes into pretty much every Creature Counters Matters deck. And as a result, I was looking overseas again tonight, snipe, sniping off some copies of this. There's opportunities in Europe. There's opportunities in Japan on these. And I, I would imagine there's been some targeting here, but these are not easy to rep- replace given the mythic level. Right, I would be. They get to crack a unsurprised. lot of product if you want to dump a bunch of these on the market. Yeah, I think that a reprint for this is nearly inevitable. It's just that we have original Ikoria printing, and now we have what we got from Lord of the Rings in the Realms and Relics, and that's it. And this is a card that's in a ton of different commander decks. So yeah, I, I would I would see this as something that is likely to get this is exactly the kind of card that headlines a secret layer this is a a great card to throw into modern horizons 3 as a rare to just you know really increase the ev of the packs and the experience so uh, i need to dig through my boxes i know i've got at least one japanese extended art foil that we did in a group buy forever ago and i need to put on ebay immediately ozolith is in 122,000 decks on edh rec so God bless. It's an amazing card in my Zaxara deck. E- easily qualifies as S-tier staple. Um, we've also got Edgar Charmed Groom. This is the uh, silver screen double feature version, non-foil, 3 to $7. That's going to be 133% gains, presumably on the back of the vampire decks that have been getting built since the Lost Caverns of Ixalan released. We've also got Preacher of the Schism extended art going 2 to 5 That's mostly a standard-driven thing, but also EDH vampire decks. Because I and I found home for it in Aloro because in life gain decks it does work as well as an early play that that keeps people from attacking. It's never bad, yeah. And and can kind of sneak through and generate more life gain potential. We've also got yeah, it's always good. We've also got Songbird's Blessing extended art out of the Wilds of Eldrine uh, WOC cards, but I put it as a WE plus here main set because it comes out of the collector boosters in the extended art form. $1.50 to $6. That's going to be Ariette, I would imagine, that's driving that because it's an auto-include in that deck. It's also really good in the Xur the Enchanter decks. Uh, number 5 WOC card on EDH Rec. Still relatively modest overall usage, so I'm ha- I'd be happy to sell as it starts to push towards $10. And then the biggest gainer of the week is Abeleth Spawn out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. A dollar to $6.00. Uh, over the last few months, 500% gains. And I know there were some people that put some bricks of this aside uh, when the set released out of the Pro Trader community. So I would imagine they're 
in position already to be selling them profitably on direct. So if you didn't know what this card did, it's two and a blue for a flash ward two, and when a creature entering the battlefield under an opponent's control causes a triggered ability of that creature to trigger, you may copy that ability and choose new targets. So whatever cool comes into play stuff they have going on, now you are going to get equally cool things. And I'm always here for that. I'm always here for decks that want to say, like, I don't need to have cool things of my own. I just want to steal all of yours. So... Good call if you got in cheap, and uh, get ready to get on out. Over on Magic Online, biggest moves of the week that caught my attention, Venerated Rot Priest out of All Will Be One, 1.15 ticks to 1.74, 51% on the back of the Bant Poison deck in Standard. Likewise, Skrelv's Hive out of 1.5 to 0.83 ticks, 66% gains on the back of the same deck. The one that was a little curious to me was Ozier Pakpatik, Deepest Epoch. Uh, which did a lot of work in the commander game we played this weekend, actually. Going 0.34 to 0.75, 120% gains. I don't think that's EDH play driving that, and I couldn't find the standard deck that's running it. I'm wondering if it's a redemption-related thing, where it's a mythic that's needed for redemption sets. So I was going to ask... Could uh, be, yeah. I, mean, I was going to ask Oko about that and see what he thought. Yeah, no, it's also uh, a card that is pretty easy to transform back. You just have to wait the turns and... Uh, cast the spells. This is just a uh, great value that hope we'll see if somebody just wanted to put it into every single deck. I'd love to see a, a single copy of this in something like Murktide. It'd be amazing. Alrighty, gone. Gonna go over to our cards to watch here. I've got some juicy ones this week. I like a lot. Galta Stampede Tyrant Borderless Foils out of the uh, LCI. This is stuff you pull out of collector boosters and there, we're down to just 42 listings of these in Near Mint Foil on TCG Player. These started at pre-order over $100, dropped down to the 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. They've been basically down until about mid-December, and since then they've been more or less steady in this $18 to $20 range on TCG Player. Nobody's got particularly deep inventory because it's a mythic, not a rare, and the card is completely ridiculous. It is a 8-mana 12-12 trample <laughs> elder dinosaur. When Galta enters the battlefield, you put any number of creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. You would think there would be some kind of limitation on that, but no, if you no. read it again, no. it, it, it's not like it counts for 12 power or something. It's just whatever's in your hand. And also of note you can just reanimate this thing. There's a lot of ways to put right. this in the yard and bring it back on turn two in ADH real easy. And then just dump your entire hand and scoop the game. So not only are there a ton of dinosaur decks getting built right now, where uh, Pat Zlanta, is that, have I got that right? Let me just double check the pronunciation. Uh, Pant, Pazlanta, yeah. Pantlaza, Pantlaza, Sun Favored, is still the number one commander being built this week. And Gishath is number six, total of 1,600 decks, which is still twice as good as the second place deck, which is Ur-Dragon at 700 decks in the last week. So not only are there tons of dinosaur decks getting built, and I've sold plenty of premium versions of them, so don't go thinking that quote-unquote casuals build dinosaur decks. Trust me, there are plenty of people committed to the dinosaur decks at high price points because I've had every... They're so good. Yeah, I've had almost everything dinosaur that I opened out of my LCI CBs sell very quickly. And I think I sold one of these early on, but I can't remember. Would have been at a higher price point, like 30 to 40. But now I'm looking at the the buyback in because this is not only a dinosaur card. So for however long the dinosaur hype goes on, 
people will be purchasing them along that those lines. But it's also just one of the most popular cards out of this set period because it's not dinosaur specific in any way. This this works right. just as a great green card, especially in green black deck, green black X decks, uh, but also in green red decks that can ramp hard and just cast the thing. And the only card that is in more decks on EDH rec from Lost Caverns of Ixalan so far is Roaming Throne at 45,000 total decks. This is second place at 16,000. That's a big gap and really reinforces our commentary on Roaming Throne last week. But you can't ignore Galta. And if I've been over in Japan buying a bunch of Ojatak Deepest Foundation, which is the third place card, I sure as heck should be buying some Galtas. Uh, and I do, I believe I did in the in the card I I, pub, I uh, was talking about last week. And but even these borderless foil English copies that are available on TCG Player to go twenty to thirty five in the next eighteen months seems very possible. So I I see where you're at. Uh, the the graph looks pretty good. I think it's likely it goes down another dollar or two before it starts to go up. Although this version being a mythic. Being borderless, being foil, we are down at 60 listings. Like you said, there's uh, only one person who's got a ton of copies you know, listed at the four or more. So I, I see where you're at. I am generally hesitant about buying in on cards you know, that are still in print, but we are about to go to Karlov Manor. And so I don't have any real beef with this, except that it might be a month early. I think you might be able to get in, like right now you're at 18, 19, 20-ish. I think you might be able to get in at like 17 in a little bit, but you, otherwise you're spot on. This is a stupid good card for Commander, stupid good at reanimating stuff. It doesn't say only put dinosaurs into play, it put all your creatures. So, oh look, I happen to have a stupid Crater Hoof in my hand. GG! So, you know, whatever other combo we can come up with, I'm sure that green decks will use quite fairly, and this is a solid pick, if perhaps a little early. The thing that got me to turn the corner on this is that usually a foil fancy mythic out of a recent standard set, you would see it selling, unless it was in a, like, there was sudden demand from standard, pioneer, or modern. When you have a card like this, is mostly EDH, you would typically see it sell one to three copies a day. On, it has got great velocity, it's true. On January 15th, this sold 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 copies. And on the 14th, it sold 10. So with 42 listings and most listings having only one copy with a couple of twosies here and there, I don't think it's showing price weakness. You might be able to catch copies a couple bucks cheaper on Facebook or whatever. Maybe Cliff's right and it dips down as the dinosaur hype cycle moves on. But I think I'm just happy to start picking up under 20 at any price point because this looks very much like a banner mythic that's going to dodge reprints for a while and is going to float up to you know this could be a great henge type situation a big big deal green card with really good uh stats and broad applicability that just ends up being fancy versions are 50 60 70 before reprint i i don't know about great hinge as a comparison but i agree that there is there is definitely some possibility of it uh, doing some serious work and uh, like you said it, there's a lot of combos for it and I'm I'm here for that too uh, dumbass green combos like this doesn't have the you must cast it like nope. the nine drop dinosaur does so and in, why they didn't put that in there I don't know but that was kind of a mistake 
Well, yeah, and in, in, in Joda the Unifier, for instance, it does really, really silly things. Oh, my silly God. Things. You can just stop talking now. My goodness gracious. All right. Tell me about your first selection. All right. So we've got this whole clue thing going on in Murders at Karlov Manor. I have Karlov like in big text on my <laughs> Word doc right in front of me. So clues are a big thing, and I like to try and anticipate you know, what's going to be popular. I've been looking at, like I talked about Mirkwood Bats last week, for instance. Clues need a finisher, and there are two that are phenomenal that I have found, and I'm not sure which one is going to be in the commander deck and which one is going to be avoided. So I'm going to highlight this one and uh, we'll just talk about the other one for a minute. I'm picking the foil copies of Rise and Shine from Modern Horizons 2 in the regular frame, not the sketch version because clearly nobody likes the sketch versions of stuff in Modern Horizons 2 unless it's Esper Sentinel. Like the sketch version is just a, a thing that didn't really pan out. I like that they tried it. It's cool. But uh, Rise and Shine is a great way for six mana to turn your stack of 10, 15 clues into GG because now they're all 4-4 creatures. Right now you can get foils for around a buck, a little bit less if you find the right shipping. Uh, I think that the foil regular versions, because of where they are at in terms of how many are available online, like uh, the foil versions of this, there's only 66 vendors and there's no huge walls. So I think that the foil regulars are where we want to be, and uh, these are the ones most likely to go up. It's going to raise all the prices, including the sketch versions. I just think that these will go higher than the others. It's not an already popular card, but I'm taking a flyer on a cheap card that should brick nicely. If it's, I want the foils in case it's included in the commander deck because you know people want to get shiny things. And there's a chance it doesn't end up in this deck. They might put something spicy like Cyberdrive Awakener in there, which does much the same thing as an artifact creature. So uh, we will see. I'm th- picking this one to just, you know, be good when e- people start going like, what's good with a bunch of clues? Oh, yeah, turn them all into four fours. I think I would sit on the sidelines here as somebody who cracked enough MH2 to already own a bunch of copies of this. I haven't been able to sell at the price points I want to. The, there is sure. a tempting brick for uh, 69 cents, eight copies, but 99 cents shipping on TCG Player. That seems reasonable. I'm just, I just haven't seen a clue commander yet here that I think is going to be a big deal. I think the vampire sure. and d- dinosaur trends are a lot stronger than the murder mystery top-down approach for Karlov Manor. And as a result, I've seen a bunch of mid-range commanders that might break into the top 10 or 20 for four to six weeks as this set releases but i don't think they're going to unseat the dominant trend lines in the top five commanders at least from what i've seen so far we have more of the set yet to see um overall this will not be the last time that wizards presents commanders that care about artifact tokens it seems to be one of the richest veins they have located in design space in quite some time between food and clue and blood and treasure and junk is now coming junk right so if they don't reprint rise and shine foils and they have time to drain out over the when eventually you have say five to eight commanders that care about the card and it just hasn't found a foil reprint home because it has had one reprint for the list or something or in a commander deck i think already oh let me look real quick looks like it was in it was in Commander March of the Machine. 
So it was in one of the Brothers War yeah. decks. Oh no, sorry, uh, one of the April decks for mom for uh, yeah. yeah mom. So if it can dodge foils for a while, then it, it it probably has a shot at getting there. But yeah, I I, I need to see the c- people getting excited about the commander before I'd want to jump in. Sure, that makes total sense to me. Uh, my next one is a selection that I have definitely called on cast before, and I think it went down instead of going up when I called it. Uh, mm-hmm. Morphic Pool ZNR Expeditions look like they may have finally turned the corner. And if you're gun-shy on these, I don't blame you, because despite the lands being mega-staples, and I remember distinctly Travis telling me these weren't going to be a big deal in EDH, but Morphic Pool is in 226,000 <laughs> decks on EDH rec. That's 25% of all blue-black decks run it. And really the only reason these land, the fancy versions of these lands haven't ex- uh, accelerated faster is that after being really high off their first printing, which I believe was Battle Bond, they got a double reprint vis-a-vis the Expeditions out of ZNR, which was a heavily produced set. And then again in Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. So there are plenty of Morphic Pools around. And these lands as a class are hurt by the fact that no competitive format can run them because it's completely irrelevant for them to do so unless they're, you're playing in multiplayer. That said, the best looking version of Morphic Pool is for sure the, Z- the ZNR Expedition. And you can get non-foils of it around 17, and foils have been on an upward trend line over the last year from about 17 to 23, and we're down to just 19 listings. MGG Mint Card has six copies at $21 on TCG Player, but that's a real steep ramp up to 30+, plus, and I don't see where they're going to reprint these anytime in the next six months. Secret Lair, always a threat, could they could decide to put these into commander decks. They could decide, but it would be a regular version, presumably. They're not threatened by the Ginny Fey deck by any means. And I don't think there's a blue-black deck specifically for Fallout, is there? No, not one that is only blue-black. I think there's a... Um, uh, and It's Jeskai, and then I think there's a, a Grixis one. But, the other thing is you know, lowest direct price on these is already at $30. So buying some at 20 if you sell on direct and flipping at 30 is totally fine in that context. And I, d- I just think this version gonna, is going to finally drain out. They printed a lot of Zendikar Rising collector boosters. There was so, so many of them. And it's just taken a few years for these to drain and overcome the reprint of foil extended arts in CLB. But the art on those is not particularly interesting. The best-looking version is this, and the market is responding by buying them at a reasonable pace. You know, Galta was selling up to 10 copies a day. These are more one to three copies a day like you would expect. But when there's no one's cracking this set anymore years out, and as a result, if it dodges the reprint, it's probably going to climb the, climb the price chart. It's easy to forget that this was originally coming out at the end of 2020. So, like, this has been a long time coming on this card. I'm not surprised that in the four years since we've, you know, I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure it's been picked at some point. Uh, you're right. It took a hard tumble when it, it became more freely available. Uh, it has been an expensive card in the past and expecting it to get back to uh, a height it once had. This does seem criminally low for a sweet version of a card that you probably should be playing if you're in blue black you need a good reason not to 
you know, if you're in five colors and you don't really need a lot of only two color lands, but you know, this is, this is solid. There's almost none to be had. They move at a decent pace and the direct price is already there. So if you are already on direct, then you can perhaps make this money back pretty darn quickly. This seems solid. I don't, I don't think I would go in for a huge stack, but it seems like it'll get there. And you're only picking it to go 22 to 35. It's not like you're saying it's going to hit 60 or 80 or anything like that. Totally reasonable. I'm also seeing some $12 copies in Japan for the Japanese uh, non-foil expedition, which seems like a no-brainer to me. That does seem like a like a really solid pickup as well. Non-foils. I always forget that there's non-foils because it seems so pretty, but it's totally valid to get yourself uh, the non-foils as well. The non-foils, if I recall correctly, were the ones that you got one of? Was it one or two? I think it was... I think there were one i think it was in the box topper yeah it was a box topper and then the red the foils you could only get in the cbs that's correct yeah one of the first times that they did crazy stuff like that okay what is your second selection so i'm still on my kick for i like to pick things for commanders that are coming up and one of the things that we got previewed was a new boros uh, suspect slash goad commander and this one is like goad is one of the most fun mechanics you can play in commander first of all i don't know if you've had the joy of lo- goading other stuff i love but it goad. Is a grand time i, I love it's i love so playing fun. with and against goad goad is just good for commander games it's one of the best goad mechanics is just good yeah it's just one of the best mechanics because it forces games into action mode and forces a bunch of interaction and discussion which is to me what makes the games interesting so, yeah, it's a 2-red-white, two 2-4 two Vigilance. When it comes into play, so whenever it attacks, suspect target creature, then goad all suspected creatures. And then whenever one or more creatures an opponent controls deals combat to one or more of your opponents, you and the controller of those creatures each draw a card. So if everybody's damaging everybody else, number one, you're already ahead. Number two, you're drawing more cards. You're doing more fun. You're doing the thing. I think that's a deck. I can't wait to see people play this deck. And happily, we just got an amazing-ass, Boros-colored, perfect goad card to go into this deck and taunt from the Rampart in uh, the Lord of the Rings set. We can get ourselves a fancy scroll foil for around $3 right now. And I'm picking this card to go for $3. I think it's going to have a pretty healthy jump to $8 because it's so awesome. The scroll is so hard to like get rid of there's only 33 vendors uh there's one person who's got yeah one person has six copies and that's it for multi-vendors so the supply is tiny it's only selling a couple copies a day but i'm confident that it's going to get there just because goading is great uh by the way this card is three red white sorcery goad all creatures your opponents control until your next turn those creatures can't block Mm-mm-mm. drawing cards killing other people making other people kill cu- kill other players for you wins all around we're well, not drawing cards but it does all the but it does you're going to draw cards because of your commander oh right gotcha gotcha the i mean i play this in a couple of different decks in Ginny fey and also in saint traft basically red white token decks both of them and when you play this into a huge board, it's just so funny oh, because so good. It if they can't counter it on, then bad things happen for everybody but you. 
<laughs> no, Bad nobody can attack happen. you, but your big army gets to swing through can be GG. And even when that's not the case, it usually bites a huge portion of life totals out of people or forces them to make bad blocks and just ruins plans in general. Uh, it's great. Mass goad is great. And, you know, as you said, it's not a, it's not a huge S tier super staple or anything, but it's a mid tier staple. It's in 12,000 decks so far. That's 4% of all red white decks since the summer. And it's one of the cards that I don't see them prioritizing a reprint on. This thing could go years without a reprint. It could also just get dumped well, into a commander deck. We're going to we're going to find out because this feels like the perfect card to put in the commander deck for murders at Karlov Manor to go in with that commander who I just mentioned. But we've we've talked about this and like can they reprint cards from this set without like triggering the need for a new IP contract or anything like that. I think they can. Like, this would... I think they can on the cards that don't have specific references to the IP. But they they also made it clear that one of the reasons they were going to keep LTR in print and it's unclear so far whether that means <laughs> I mean I don't know how clear how much is entering circulation. No, yeah. no, no. I mean like when they said that in the summer, were they just referring to trying to justify the holiday release? Or is there something else that hasn't been announced yet in the product schedule that might appear um, with further reprints for LTR cards? That's in the back of my head. I don't see any evidence yet. I haven't heard any rumors to that effect. But it's not impossible. Right. That said, I think the Ginny Fay deck is also a potential threat if they're willing to reprint it that fast. Sure. Because that makes sense there. So the secret layer deck. Um, but if it dodges all those things, then for sure this can get there given time. And your call here is relatively modest, three to eight. At minimum, picking up a couple of copies for your own decks and then just keeping an eye on the price later is totally fine. I agree. Tell me about your other pick. You've been on a steamer lately. A couple of, like you got so many good cards to talk about. Uh, I'm also talking about a scroll card, the Mithril Coat uh, foil etched scroll version from the holiday release. And this thing is... In 5% of all decks, it could be in since release, which is 70,000. So five times more than Taunt from the Rampart, because this is a uh, colorless artifact equipment that just basically helps commanders and legendary creatures in general. And it's done a bunch of work every time I've used it. I run it in my Sam Frodo food deck because it's so thematically appropriate there. But it's also just a great card in general because it's a three casting cost flash that has indestructible and it gives the equipped creature indestructible so it's just a hard situation to deal with and something like joda or any other deck that really relies on its commander as the engine this alongside things like lightning greaves and swiftfoot boots are going to be early things you reach for to make sure your commander sticks around to do the things you want it to do it's also really nice in in a deck like joda if i cast a sweeper it's great to have coat on the commander say instant speed because it has flash at the end of the last person's turn so they don't see the sweeper coming thinking that why would i sweep away the commander i just cast and the foil showcases got down in early November to as low as 450 or so. Now the lowest price is closer to between eight and ten dollars, and we're down to just if we're looking at the foil etched, we're down to just 13 listings on TCG Player. So to call this to go 10 to 20 seems very modest indeed. So uh, I just want to be clear about which version you're talking about. You're not talking. Are you talking about the scroll? Yeah, Mithril Coat Showcase Scrolls Foil. Okay. I didn't realize that was a, the scrolls were etched foil. Well, it's I don't know if they call it etched foil. I think it's silver etched or something, but 
Oh, right, right, right. But uh, just the scroll foil, because there's not like a different foiling version Correct. going on. Okay. No, this is this is totally legit. Um, I am stunned to look at the graph on TCG Player and see, absolutely, this was a sub $5 card. I'm angry I didn't buy in at $5. I've got this in three or four different decks because I just, I want to, if I've got a commander, I need the commander to do something. Uh, I don't have it in Ur-Dragon, but I think it's in just about every other one, except for zombies. Zombies, I don't care if she uh, dies a bunch. This is a solid card, great staple, uh, great price. Get your showcase scrolls while you can. We're seeing poster versions go crazy from Lord of the Rings Holiday. Scrolls are next on the agenda. This is just awesome at any point. It goes with any commander because it's colorless. It's legendary, so you get to trigger all the fun with that. Oh, yeah, this is this is a great pick. I approve highly of this one. All right. You want to lead us into what we saw today from the murders at Karlov Manor, where all the vampires Karlov all the vampires Manor. got murdered on Innistrad, and then they came to complain about it on Ravnica. That's what happened, right? So that's pretty much what happened. Uh, we. What do you want to start? You want to start with mechanics or specific cards? Let's start with mechanics, because you and I had a great discussion beforehand about uh, the foolishness of some of these mechanics. Go right ahead. First of all, we get an upgraded version of Morph and an upgraded version of Manifest, and we're calling the new Morph Disguise, and we're calling the new Manifest Cloak. So that's going to be a thing you're going to see on some of these cards. They've got a disguise cost, or they have an, a cloak effect. If it's cloak, then you take the top card, you put it into play as a 2-2. The upgrade on these is that both the cloaked creature and the disguised creature have ward 2. Because we all killed morph creatures too quickly. I don't know exactly what's going on, but this is the upgrade they decided to do. And so they're giving us uh, multiple ways to get small creatures with Ward 2 into play. And Ward 2's good, you know. Uh, they've been printing... I don't like this arms race they're currently in, where they're printing these under-costed removal spells. And then they're like, oh, but we've got to put Ward 2 on everything because removal's so damn cheap. But now that they've made removal so damn cheap, Ward 2 isn't really that big a deal. So I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm starting to rant. I apologize to all of you for that. I, I agree with the general consensus in the Pro Trader Discord today, which was that the, the set is overly complex because they are designing the mechanics from a top-down perspective. This is a set that was supposed to be about a murder mystery. So they're di trying to achieve mechanics that lean into that. And so they've taken a bunch of stuff they've done in the past and then they've tweaked it to be better in theory than morph and manifest which were not which were fine in in limited environments but you know never made it really big on the competitive stage except i guess way back in the day when they debuted morph and onslaught there was an angel that did pretty well yeah because you could go three drop morph four drop flip it up and be gaining four life a turn because who could kill a four five on turn four that sounds right so since then, it's just never been a big deal, and I don't expect it to be a big deal here. I don't see these themes being very popular with commander players. They just don't have the same panache as, say, vampires and dinosaurs. And we haven't really seen... If you look through the top 20 commanders, there's not really a 
mechanic-driven commander per se. You know, even Atraxa, which is functionally a proliferate commander, it's more about the broad applicability of proliferate than it is about... And, and Atraxa is ridiculously good, right? You know, she's just good on board. Right. It's a 4-4 flying vigilance death, death touch lifelink for 4. So she's just never bad to have him play, period. But then you've got Ur-Dragon, which is about dragons, and Lathril that's about elves, Yuriko that's about ninjas, another dragon commander, and Miriam, Will Helt's a zombie commander, Kenrith is a utility box five-color commander, Markov's about vampires, Shurikai is a uh, vehicles commander. So the only one that's even close to being mechanically relevant is Ishin, getting the double attack triggers. And even that isn't really, is more... You know, anything that doubles or triple, triples triggers is generally interesting to players. It's not that there's a specific mechanic on Ishin that's driving driving the boat. And I don't, other than the Cascade-esqueness of Joda, I don't see anything in the top 20 that even remotely meets that. So it's pretty clear to me that Typal themes are the strongest, both in terms of popularity and financially. And as a result, I think a lot of the stuff in Karlov Manor is going to you know, end up being viewed as limited specific, standard specific, may not have broad applicability. I'm with you on that. They they're trying uh, real hard to say like, ooh, it's a murder mystery. There, I think you and I said at one point a while ago when they uh, previewed the whole schedule for this coming year, they're like, oh look, they're checking off boxes. Here's murder mystery set. Here's uh, old west set. Here's uh, animals have taken over set. You know sure. we got uh, the Bloomborough coming, so they're they're checking the boxes on you know tropes, and they're trying to design magic cards that go into it. And these are these are very wordy cards. I realize that Magic has decided uh, complexity creep not a terrible thing, but my God, some of these commons are really really complicated uh let me give you an example we're used to like a wind drake in limited two and a blue two two flyer straightforward clean epic thing that shit is old and sticky and yucky at this point if we don't get a benefit to our two two flyer for three mana we don't want any part of it we need an additional token or in this case we're getting a common that's crime stopper sprite as an additional cost to cast this spell, you may collect Evidence 6, which means, reminder text, exile cards with total mana value 6 or greater from your graveyard. As flying. When it enters the battlefield, tap target creature. If Evidence was collected, put a stun counter on it. And so then you have to have the stun counter reminder text. This is crazy on a common. <laughs> Imagine if they had like, put... could have had... Imagine if they had put this in, in the set that had the large casting cost mana cyclers and you could have cycled the black one right. got a six drop in the yard and then cast this on three that's hot <laughs> really like it really like it anyway but this could have been just comes into play tap target creature and we'd have been like no damn that's amazing but now we have to exile six mana cost worth of stuff on a common come on that's too much there's too much going on here there's some neat cards i like it uh we're gonna get to some of the coolest ones in a minute here but this whole, um, we haven't had collect evidence as quite a mechanic. It's like a weird version of delve as a way to give yourself, if you've done enough stuff, then you can now 
uh, exile things and get a bonus, sure. It, it's but this it's just delve feels like too much. It's delve with upside in the case in the sense that well, it's not necessarily with upside. It's it's a different version of delve. You're right, where just a bunch of expensive stuff in your yard makes it easier to activate this versus delve. Right, like the benefit here is get something big in the yard matters, whereas with delve, it's get a big yard going matters. Right. Um, but I did, I did see some juicy stuff in here that that looks very playable. In you know, I'm mostly looking through a commander lens when I'm looking at standard cards. Uh, Absolutely. Tomic, wielder of law, one white black two four human advisor, affinity for planeswalkers. So it casts less for each planeswalker you control, but it basically just that can only happen once because it's one white black. So as long as you have one... Pl- just makes me crazy. As long as you have one planeswalker, this is a 2-4 flying vigilance creature with upside, where whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you or your planeswalkers, that opponent loses three life and you draw a card. That is a very good rattlesnake effect for attracts of planeswalkers, ostensibly the most popular deck of all time, one that I've had built for years. I will find a slot for this and test it, don't know that it lasts for sure, but I do. I have thought often that I want multiple propaganda ghostly prison effects in this deck, and Tomic looks like a reasonable choice there, because sometimes sometimes they just have the mana to go in and do what they need to do. But having a two sure. a two four flying vigilance in the early to mid game is a reasonable way to, you know, push off somebody's ragavan or something that's attacking early. So that's a solid card. Is- I don't think it's going to be a huge financial. Uh, thing because it, it's listed as a pre-release card, so I'm not sure. Right, I, this is. Uh, this is, I think this is one of the ones you can only get out of the pre-release kits. I don't. Is it only available in the pre-release kits? That'll be pretty crazy if that's the tr- the that's I the case. I think that's what I read. I'll double check that. Because they said that uh, these cards you cannot play them in your pre-release pool, which is uh, terrible. They made that change a while ago that you should be able to play whatever promos and stuff they give you. And, like, if these are too good to be played, honestly, uh, Tomic as a 2-4 Flying Vigilance for with, a, with that ability, that's pretty broken. You need to kill that immediately. Uh, Malek, the Reforged Researcher, uh, is very terrible in a limited setting. And Voja, Jaws of the Conclave, is broken... Uh, like not at all it's just a good card it's vigilance trample ward three for five mana but you're not gonna unless you get lucky and have one or two elves in play then you're gonna have uh some shenanigans going on but these are um this was a mistake to put cards in the pre-release pack that then you cannot put into your pre-release deck are are you sure that's i don't like are you sure that's what they said about these Am I sure? No. Like, all we're going from is uh, one stream today, and uh, I believe that's what they said. We'll, we'll go back and double-check that, because uh, the conversation was had explicitly in the Discord, and but I thought I remembered it differently. I thought these were uh, playable and standard, and the complaint was that you could only get them from pre-release packs, and they would be foil, so that non-foils would not be available in a tournament setting. And but maybe maybe it was a different set of cards. Anyway, we'll double back to that when we're sure. The probably the biggest s- set of staples that were unveiled are these new surveil uh, dual lands. So they're basically scry lands, but instead of scry, they have surveil, but they have basic land types. And I was debating with people on Twitter today how relevant these are 
from my perspective, I'm thinking specifically to EDH because, you know, maybe they see play in standard, but um, they're certainly not going to make their way into Pioneer or Modern to any great extent uh, because of the fact that they come into play tapped. But the fact that in an EDH deck, you now have the option to fetch into a Volcanic Island, if you own it, a Steam Vents, if you need the mana untapped right away, or a Tri-Land at, say, end of opponent's turn, if you need all three colors, or one of these, if what you want is a little bit of card selection, right? Because I find on turns one and two, sometimes three of Commander games, I'm often not using the mana right away. Like, maybe I have a one-drop, but not a two-drop, or vice versa. Or the way that you're playing out your mana rocks means that the, the land you played in the first few turns is one you can afford to fetch at end of the opponent's turn right before yours. In a circumstance like that, I'm going to go get, the if I'm playing, especially if I'm playing two color, I'm going to go get the surveil land, not the shock land. Right. Right. So I think these make their way into a lot of EDH decks. I think they're going to have very strong numbers, probably not as high as the Morphic Pool Cycle, for instance, but at least half that, I would guess, a couple years out. I mean, these these are very good, and they're just another sign of how good a mana base you can build. Uh, the I think these will be comparable in price to the Buddy Lands. They'll be somewhere between three and five dollars. Uh, we'll see about the more special versions if people decide that they really want to put it into their commander decks. Like we're really spoiled for choice, so it's hard for me to see these going crazy. Perhaps when rotation hits and we lose a lot of the good land cycles. This might have a chance to light up and be good for a while. It, so that's that would be the main thing I'd be looking for. The other place where they really shine is in black decks or decks that can abuse the graveyard in some way. Because surveil right. surveil as card selection is one thing. Getting a card out, off the top that you don't want to draw. But when the card that you don't want to draw you do want in the yard, then you're getting, you know, double upside. Uh, and they could these can shine there. For the the lands, I was right when I was thinking this. Um, Streets of New Capenna rotates in the end of 2024, the end of this year, so it's got like nine months to go. And at the same time, the Innistrad, Midnight Hunt, and Crimson Vow lands, the slow lands, will also rotate out. So we'll be left with the Dominaria United lands, and uh, you know those. None of them are as good multicolored as these probably are. And while they're fetchable. I don't know how big a difference that's going to make in standard, but we might see some interesting standard demand around the end of this year, depending on what land cycles people decide are most awesome. It's also like Nature's Lore and other cards like that in Commander can just go get a forest, right? So these can just go get it. Yeah, these can also be Farsi. these can also be searched up with those, right? It's true. And and cards like that putting in a duel that also surveils, especially if you've got the graveyard synergy. Like I would for sure try it in Moldratha. Fetch end of turn, surveil, dump the big thing in the yard, then I'm going to reanimate the next turn. Seems fine. Yeah, uh, same thing with uh, the restless lands. Like, we can't fetch them, so we get some uh, some creature lands going on. There's there's going to be some good stuff once uh, rotation hits. It'll be interesting to see. They also have a minor effect on other lands and other car permanents and spells that care about these land types being in play. Like, there's a cycle of lands right. that comes into play untapped unless you control basic land types. Or and things like Mystic Sanctuary that are only usable if you have what three islands in play. Right. So this helps with all that. It really does. 
Uh, I can confirm that the these through tradition these new traditional foil mythic rares are exclusive to pre-release packs. They are legal legal for standard play, but not playable at pre-release as part of your sealed deck. Okay. And for what forever what what it's worth, these are cards that sleuths will want to look at closely, according to the collector article. Now, I uh, first pass. I can't tell off the top if these are going to get some other version in the collector boosters. Uh, I see a couple places where it could be. No, like we might no. I th- I think somebody mentioned in the Discord these don't exist anywhere but the pre-release packs. Well, let's hope they don't get too expensive then. Uh, long goodbye. Solid promo version on deck for LGS distribution. It's just a another solid black removal spell. One in a black. Destroys target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less, and the spell can't be countered. They also showed us No More Lies, another solid and uncommon, which is basically the, the, functionally the first mana leak in Pioneer, and almost certainly makes right. uh, control blue-white control more viable there, because No More Lies is an instant for white and a blue, and counters unless they pay three, and if the spell's countered, you exile it. So... I think that'll see plenty of play. Assassin's Trophy is getting a reprint here. Obviously a very, very good spell for both Standard and Commander. Uh, A lot of the other stuff in this set doesn't really ring my bell yet. But I saw a few things that were interesting. We talked about uh, War Leader's Call in the Discord. uh, The Anthem for one white red. That whenever a creature enters play, it deals a damage to each opponent. That's just solid. That's going to go right into Ginny Fey for you, I imagine. Just making tokens all over the place and making your tokens that much bigger and better. I like War Leader's Call. The showcase version specifically mm-hmm. has excellent art. And it will be an auto-include when the Ginny Fey Jetmere secret layer decks land. I bet you they don't have sure. this card because it doesn't make sense that it would. It's probably planned a year or more ago and this card probably wasn't even finalized. So this thing is just an anthem and a, what's the card that deals damage when creatures come into play? Impact Tremors. Thank you. It's, it's basically Glorious Anthem plus Impact Tremors. So one red, white, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals one damage to each opponent. This is fantastic. In red, white token decks, I will run this in Traft. I will run this in Ginny Fey. There are other decks that also care about it. The... In Ginny Fey decks, this means that your 2-2 cats can be 3-3 cats that deal damage on the way in, and your 3-1 dogs can be 4-2 dogs that deal damage on the way in. I mean... Just good all around, man. Uh, well, I'll be really interested to see what they put into the actual Ginny Fey uh, Jetmere deck. This card's probably going to be pretty cheap, but it looks very good. And if, there, if it just so happens that a token deck appears in standard, they'll play this card as a 4 of, if it's in these colors. Yes, I would I would agree with that. This is a very different like this is a card in standard. You can put four copies in. Yeah, like you are going to do some work with this stupid card. It's not legendary around it. Yeah, not legendary. So I, I've the other card that caught my eye is Krinko Baron of Tin Street, two and a red for a three three goblin. Yeah. It's got haste. You can tap and sack an artifact to put a plus one plus one counter on each goblin you control. Artifacts plus goblins is not really a fantastic theme, and I think that might throw some people off. I think they need to think about this as a standalone card that goes into artifact decks, not a goblin lord that goes into goblin decks. Because the other piece of text is the important part. Whenever 
any artifact is put into a graveyard from the battlefield on any turn, that's not what it says, but I'm telling you, you may pay red. If you do, you create a 1-1 red goblin creature token. It gains haste until end of turn. Those tokens don't go away. They can trigger on anybody's turn. If your opponents are sacking treasures, you get to turn mana into creatures. Then you can, if you're making your own treasures or food tokens or whatever, you can then sack those to make all the goblins you've been making from all the other stuff that got sacked into bigger goblins. This is a monastery mentor level token engine in the current co- in the context of the current EDH. So it, it, Krenko wants uh, sacrificing to happen for artifacts, right? And he uh, taps to sack an artifact to put crowners on, and he wants you to pay red mana. What if they printed a card to go with it whenever you sacrifice an artifact, you put a 1-1 counter on this goblin and add a red mana? How about they do that in the same set? This is going to be ridiculous. We're going to see a lot of this stupid crime novelist combo all over the place. Well, the cute thing about how this handles the stack, though, is that his ability reads tap, sack, an artifact. The second ability is going to trigger before the first one finishes uh, completing, right? So you can tap, sack a treasure, okay? And you're then going to get a chance to pay a red, which could be the mana you just got off the treasure, to make the goblin. And then, even if you had no goblins previous to that, put plus one plus one counters on all your goblins that's going to take even just the first time you do it with one treasure in play Cranko ends up a four four and the other goblins a two two it's really good it's a really really good card i'll be looking to brick this card because i can see a whole bunch of applications you don't even need I, i think it's actually worth running this card on a deck with minimal artifacts and minimal goblins and it just gets better if that's not the case because everyone else has so many treasures and clues and food and whatever, junk tokens and all this other stuff that, or people are destroying, you know, like a mid-game Heliod's intervention takes out a whole bunch of artifacts. People's soul rings and signets and so forth. That happens all the time in EDH. Right. So even if you're not capitalizing off treasures, you're still just going to get to do this a lot. And I I like these kind of engines because this interacts with the other stuff, like impact tremors, like War Leader's Call we just talked about. If you got a War Leader's Call out, the first goblin is a 3-3 <laughs> and Cranko is a 5-5. Five, five. And the goblin coming Plus in dealing damage. and the goblin that came in did damage to everybody. <laughs> so p- picture you had five treasures and you played Cranko last turn. You're threatening to make five goblins in response to the treasure sacks. They all will be um, two twos. And Call would make them three threes, and they would deal five on the way in. And keep, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. And keep in mind, Cranko has haste. You don't have to wait a turn cycle if you've got the mana. Uh, so true. if you play Cranko, that's an easy bit to overlook. If you've got a treasure left, <laughs> and you just played Cranko, and they want to kill him with with point removal or whatever, you're still going to get get it off once. Yes, yes, you are. It's good. Cranko is very, very good. And it's only, you know, two and a red, single single casting cost red. So I think it can find its way into a bunch of blue, red, Jeskai, Artifacts Matters decks. And it can also find its way into creature token decks that have goblin sub-themes and so forth. Uh, they showed us Tristani, Three Whispers, as a fairly underwhelming mythic that looks just looks like a good value card. I don't think it's going to, like, upset any apple carts yeah. as a 4-4 four, four Dryad for three. But it has the ability to give anything Death Touch, Vigilance, or Double Strike for between one and three mana, which is a bunch of useful things in a tacky 
Naya colors. I mean, if you've got five mana open and, and you attack, uh, you cannot put enough in front of this card or any other card. Because you'll give it death touch and double strike, which means, you know, first, first strike death touch and blocking just becomes uh, an abyss. You just lose a creature every turn. Giving it vigilance is super handy because then you just attack and say, I got open mana, what you're going to do? And then you're going to just take it, and then they can use their mana for other stuff. It'll be really great. That whole threat of activation is going to be amazing. Can I offer you a really ridiculous artifact land at Uncommon? Talking about Branch? I think this Are you talking about Branch of Vidugazi? No, I'm talking about... Is that an artifact, too? No, it's no, not, no, it's no, not no. an I'm artifact. I'm talking about... Yeah, scene of the crime, uh, artifact land. It's a clue, but it's an artifact land, and those always get me worried. Uh, so it comes to play tapped, only taps for colorless. You have to tap and then tap an untapped creature for one man of any color. They put all the slowness on it, but they also put to sacrifice this land, draw a card, which is really powerful. You just sack your lands like somebody's going to play this in their wing grace deck and you're going to want to choke somebody because they're getting so much card advantage. We're going to see a lot of that, I think. It's solid. Um, one of the cool rares out of the Clue ancillary set is Lavinia Foil to Conspiracy. One Azorius Azorius, so white or blue, white or blue. It's a human detective, vigilance for a 2-3 creature. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, investigate, and then tap, add two colorless, activate only during an opponent's turn. That's pretty good in a control shell because... That's amazing. You're you're casting multiple spells. You're getting your investigation on. You're getting a bunch of clues. And then at minimum, she can... It just makes your instance too much, too mana cheaper. It's just ridiculous. And somebody was saying, like, in the Discord, oh, but why do I want two mana on their turn? Well, first of all, she made a clue. <laughs> she made a clue, so that's why you're going to use it to, at minimum, turn on the clue. What? I don't think this is a huge financial gainer, necessarily. It's just a cool card. I remember, this is only available in the in the clue, do, in the clue box. Like, this has real potential to be uh, incredibly irritating that you can't get more copies of this. Certainly anything out of the clue boxes that isn't heavily cracked but is popular has has a solid chance it gains over time they also showed us the special guest cards these are the reprints that are getting fresh art treatments in full art borderless not an amazing list to be honest and kind of happy about it like this is kind of what i want these to look like people were complaining but i'm like you know what this is fine <laughs> if, if this is dialing back what dialing back the reprints is going to look a little like that's totally fine by me there's a nice ghostly prison, fabricate, show and tell, tragic slip, victimize, field of the dead, gamble, tireless tracker, and drown in the lock. Isn't crashing footfalls on this list too? Crashing footfalls as well. It's just not in the uh, set of arts I'm looking set, at. Yeah. Crashing footfalls is an auto include in its own deck in modern, but as uh, one of our mods pointed out, not really playable anywhere else per se. I would say that of these, the biggest. EDH staples of note are Ghostly Prison, Field of the Dead, and Gamble. Um, I mean, I, this is special guest is also exactly where you'd want to put Tireless Tracker in a set all about investigating, like one of the best investigators they ever printed. So this is perfect to get more copies out there for. Uh, these don't become standard legal, right? No, these are no. these. There's no way no. they're not going to give us uh, Ghostly Prison in standard. That would just be ridiculous. So yeah, this is just a great way to put more copies out there for 
anybody who wants more things that are on theme without them having to worry about it. Field of the Dead has not had a reprint. It got banned a couple places, so I don't think it's ever had a reprint, right? Ex- yeah, it was from Core. It was from M20. They're currently twenty dollars. So these fancy versions are probably going to be fairly popular because it's in a whole bunch of EDH decks. Basically, the Lands Matters decks. Uh, oh, it's also in. Um, oh my God! Is it? It's. I didn't know Field of the Dead had made it up to twenty dollars. It's in uh, the Evil Dead secret layer that just closed. Oh, that makes me regret not getting more of those because it's in 125,000 decks on EDH rec. Damn, I should have bought I bought uh 3 for just funsies, but I should have bought more. The nice thing about Field of the Dead for EDH purposes is once you're in 3 color plus decks, it doesn't make the mana you want, but you're going to get you got to look at it as a zero casting cost enchantment that that <laughs> has like hexproof and makes a bunch of zombies because it triggers off you having seven or more different lands in play. And right. that's very easy in EDH where you can only run multiples of basics. It is pretty easy. All right. So they also showed off the commanders. And I think of the four they showed us, Kaust, Mirko, Morska, and Nelly Borka. I would imagine that Morska and Nelly Borka are the most likely to see decent commander popularity morska undersea sleuth is a bant 2-3 vidalkin fish detective i'm sure some people will be upset it's not a merfolk you have no you have no maximum hand size at the beginning of your upkeep you investigate whenever you draw your second card each turn put put two plus one plus one counters on morska morska doesn't have any evasion so her second ability making her bigger isn't amazing this is really underwhelming for a clue commander, I gotta say. And you only investigate once per turn. So I don't know, maybe I, m- yeah. maybe that's just not there. I think Nelly Borka is better. Nelly Borka, Impulsive Accuser, is two red-white for a 2-4 human detective yeah. vi- with Vigilance. Whenever it attacks... We, we talked about her earlier, yeah. Suspect target creature, then goad all suspected creatures. Whenever one or more creatures an opponent controls deals combat damage to one or more of your opponents, you and the controller of those creatures each draw a card. That's got, like... Um, Thantis vibes. It's going to be a kind of similar commander where it's like goad specific. You're going to throw a mithril code on Nelly and then leave her on board forever while she messes with everybody. That seems very good. Just mess with everyone. I love it. I love it so much. I'm sure uh, the eyes of the glade, the two mana, uh, the uh, Naya commander for flipping things down, uh, flipping things face up is going to have some cool things. Uh, I need to go look and see what cards with morph are in these colors? I don't want to flip up. The first one that jumps to mind is Dra- uh, Dragon Tyrant, the huge double strike sure. one. That so you're gonna just like boom, blow, and draw a card. I love all that. Overall, I have not seen a Galta Stampede Tyrant level mythic that I intend on chasing. So let's see what the rest of this week holds. Next week, I think we should have most of the spoilers in hand, and uh, we should be getting more. More will be trickling out over the next few days. Yep. In the meantime, where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. 
And you guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for this week, James, but more previews are always coming. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you you to all of our listeners and we will see all of you next week on another episode of mtg fast finance